Well, if you could uh, get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 2, you're really going to need your Bibles this morning. We're going to be doing a lot of page turning, which is going to be great and very exciting. And we're going to be looking, to begin with, at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is the the end of the prologue of Genesis, the seven-day creation in which God made the world. And it's important we just get our bearings uh, as to what we've seen so far in Genesis. Robin told us last week that Genesis 1 acts as a prologue to the book of Genesis. Um, You could say actually it acts as a prologue to the entire Bible. And we've seen that the purpose of Genesis 1 was to help us understand the original perfection of the world that God created. So Genesis 1 wasn't written to give us an exact time frame of how God created the world, but it was written to show us the perfection of the world that God created. And you can see that just from the text itself. The the term day, Genesis 1 talks about the world being made in seven days. uh, And yet in Genesis 2 verse 4, um, Moses talks about the earth, the heavens and the earth being made in a single day. So it's not written to give us the exact chronology of how the world was created. It's written to show us the perfection of God's creation. You can see that in the kind of poetic style, um, the poetic structure of the chapter as a whole. Um, Let me just remind you, we'll bring up a slide, of how Genesis 1 is structured. Um, This is kind of the key verse, the earth was without form and void. And what God does in creating the world in Genesis 1 is, first of all, in the first three days, he creates um, the form, light and dark, day two, sky and water, day three, land and vegetation. Uh, And then in the next three days, he fills those things. So he fills the light and dark with the sun, the moon and the stars. He fills the sky and the water with the birds and the fish on day five. And then on day six, he fills the land with animals and then humanity. And then when we read about the creation of humanity, thank you Fiona, um, in Genesis chapter one, we see that this is This is kind of what it's been building towards, that humanity is the goal of God's creation. Human beings are not described just as uh, other animals. They are unique. They are special. In Genesis 1, they are described as being made in the image of God. We are the crowning achievement of everything that God made. And that's why the Christian worldview gives such a a dignity and a worth to humanity uh, that is really unlike anything else. But you have that sixth day as the the final day. But what's strange about the entire poem is that it doesn't finish in the sixth day. We've got this seventh day here in Genesis chapter 2. The seventh day that acts kind of as, as a conclusion to the whole poem. Why do we have this? Why not just end in the sixth day? Why do we have this day, this day of rest? Well, humanity may indeed be the crown of creation. But the seventh day, this final day in Genesis 1 and 2, shows us what the goal of creation is. The seventh day is is there. It's not there to primarily to show us what to do on a Sunday or how to structure our week. But it's there to show us why we and this world exist. There is a purpose beyond ourselves. Creation does not end with humanity. It ends with this. And that's why I'm very excited to look at this with you this morning, because what could be more incredible than to look at the very reason why you and I exist, why we were made? So let's read um, what God says about this 
special sacred day. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Let me pray before we uh, look at these verses. Father, we are going to look at some amazing truths from your word this morning. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts to listen to these great truths. Father, help us this morning to understand why we were made and what we were made for. Help us to marvel at how you managed to achieve this rest that we so desperately need. Father, may you speak to us now through your word, and may we hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The author, Mark Twain, said this, the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day you find out why. And I want us to look at today why we were born. Why is it that we exist? And and it's all tied into these three verses, which sounds a bit crazy. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at what is it that Genesis uh, 2 is telling us about this final day of creation? What can we learn from it? And then I want to look at how that big theme that we see in Genesis 2 kind of carries all the way through the entire Bible. So we're going to journey from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. The, the Bible is kind of like um, a stick of rock that you would get you know, in these kind of seaside towns that's got um, letters that run all the way through it. There are certain themes in the Bible that carry all the way through that no matter where you chop it up, you'll see these themes appear. And Genesis 2, 1 to 3, contains a core theme that carries all the way through to the very end. So we're going to do that. We're going to journey through uh, the entire Bible. You see on the inside of your service sheet, I've got um, an outline, which I think would be quite helpful, uh, just so we can keep our bearings as we look at this. Uh, amazing, amazing theme. So here's my first point. Here's my summary, I think, of what Genesis 2, 1 to 3 is saying. The seventh day shows us that perfect, eternal rest is the goal of God's creation. The seventh day shows us that perfect, eternal rest is the goal of God's creation. Now look how we see this in Genesis 2. Notice firstly uh, the language of completion that is used here to highlight the perfection of everything that God has made. Uh, The heavens and the earth were finished, verse 1, and everything that was in them Uh, Then the author repeats it in verse 2. On the seventh day, God finished his work. Um, And in the the original Hebrew, uh, these verses are written in a much more stylized, poetic way. Um, My Hebrew is extremely limited, despite what Robin says. Um, But even I I was quite excited this week because I was able to read this in the original Hebrew because it's very uh, simple. The structure of it's very clear, um, which made me feel great because my linguistic skills in the past uh, haven't gone beyond English and Dundonian. Um, So this was quite an achievement for me. Um, You could have a Dundonian translation of the Bible. Just remove all the T's. Um, But in the Hebrew, what you've got here is you've got three sentences each with seven words in the sentence. 
So seven words, then seven words, then seven words. You can kind of see it in the English that it's kind of a bit wordy, the way it's phrased, the repeated refrain, he had done, he had done. Um, So you've got these three sentences of seven words. And in the Hebrew mindset, seven was to be seen as the number of perfection. So the author, Moses here, is deliberately making a point about the perfection, the finality of God's creation. Five times when God created these different days, he declared it to be good. And then when he created human beings, he declared us to be very good. But now it's finished. It's perfect in every way. God God does not do half-hearted jobs. It's perfect. Uh, Let me highlight just an important point here when it talks about God finishing his work um, in these verses. God doesn't finish working altogether. God finishes his work of creation. Um, But an important point to see here is that God is still working on the seventh day. If God wasn't working, um, then the universe wouldn't exist. He has to uphold the universe by the word of his power. That's the point that Jesus makes in John 5. Um, And it's quite an important point to understand. He finishes his work of creation. There's nothing to be added to that. But God himself still works. So on the seventh day, God finished. And halfway through verse 2, we see that the seventh day is marked by rest. God rested. Um, This is really confusing. I remember the first time uh, hearing of this. And I was just thinking, why does God need to rest? If God is God then why does he need to have a break um, from all that he's done? I don't think what's happening here, it's not like God's sitting down, putting his slippers on uh, and resting. But I think that that what's happening here, and remember this is poetic prose, is that God is laying down an important principle embedded in creation and he's using himself as the example for our sake. And that principle is, which lies really at the heart of the seventh day, is rest. The purpose of creation and the purpose, therefore, of us as created beings is to have rest. Twice we see that mentioned in these verses. God finished, God rested, and finally God blessed. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. This is the first mention in scripture of God blessing something. And it's this seventh day. It shows us that this day is special. You can see it even if, when we saw the sort of structure of Genesis. The seventh day sits outside the poem. It's unique. It's set apart. That's what it means to be holy. Holiness is an attribute of God. This is God's day. It's all about him. Creation begins with God. Creation ends with God. God blesses this day. He makes it holy. He makes it sacred. And notice just one more thing in these verses. Every day that we've seen in Genesis has a beginning and an end. There was morning. There was evening. The next day. Notice that that is not what happens on the seventh day. There is no end to the seventh day. There is no eighth day. The seventh day is the eternal day. It is the goal of everything that has been made. It is the day of perfect, eternal rest. And it's the goal of God's perfect creation. And it's the goal of our existence. That is what we were made to have. Isn't that striking? We are not made to experience pain 
and discomfort and stress and suffering and hurt and death. They are distortions and not part of God's plan and purpose for us. We know that. There's something in us that that when we do feel these things, there's something in us that knows this is not right. This is not the way things are meant to be. But here's the problem. (laughs) That is what we face today. We don't have this rest and peace and security. We don't have the seventh day rest. We're not here. And if we read through the book of Genesis, we see why that happens. Um, We see that humanity chose to rebel against God and and it threw human beings and the entire created order uh, under the curse of God. But the book of Genesis is the story of how God plans uh, to fix what we broke, how God plans to restore creation back to this original perfection. So what I want to do is I want to journey with you through the Bible to show how does God do this. This this theme of rest is so important. If you're to understand the Bible, the theme of the seventh day rest is so key to understanding it. So I hope you've got nimble fingers. We're going to be doing some serious uh, page turning as we journey through the history of salvation. So that's the second point on your sheet there. We're going to see, first of all, in the Old Testament, that the seventh day rest, we're going to see the picture of God's promise to restore the seventh day rest in the Old Testament. Now, let's get our mind into the original readers of Genesis chapter 1. It's really key to understanding, I think, the book of Genesis. The people who would have originally read this were the Israelites that were freed out of Egypt by Moses, well, by God, through Moses. They had spent 400 years being oppressed by this foreign nation, being surrounded by all these different gods, and these would be the first readers of this book. So Genesis 1 would have blown their minds. There's no moon god, there's no sun god. You have this one god who's created everything. And they would have seen that in this, that their purpose is to have a rest in him. One of the the ways that they were to remember this, these these Israelites that were taken out of uh, slavery, was they were to keep a certain day and set it aside. And it was called the Sabbath day. The Hebrew word for rest used in Genesis 2 is the word Shabbat, where we get the term Sabbath. And these original readers, they were told that, that they had to structure their week around the days of creation. So for six days, they had to work. And then at the end, on the seventh day, they were to rest. They were to have a Sabbath day. This was part of the the Ten Commandments that they had received. So turn forward to Exodus chapter 20. It's on page 61 of the Church Bibles, page 61. Exodus chapter 20. This is where we start to see this theme of rest emerge with God's people. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. This is the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. God writes, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. 
This is, this is a huge commandment. So the Ten Commandments, which we may be quite familiar with, throughout the entire Old Testament, the Sabbath commandment is the one that comes up time and time and time again. Even in the book of Exodus, it will be repeated another four times. It's a big deal. They have to set aside this day. And what we see from the Ten Commandments is that the reason they have to set it aside is because of the principle that God laid down in creation. So they are to remember on the seventh day why they were made. And then if you were to to see how Moses talks about the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he brings up the fourth commandment again, the Sabbath day. But rather than talking about creation... He says in Deuteronomy 5, you are to keep this day holy because the Lord your God redeemed you and saved you out of the slavery of Egypt. So this Sabbath day was a day in which they were to remember why they were made and why they were saved. Creation and salvation were integral to the Jewish understanding of the Sabbath day. It wasn't just God laying down a practical principle. I mean, we we need rest. We're made to have rest. But the Sabbath day wasn't just there because God was imposing a practical rule upon them. It was there for a much bigger purpose. It was there to remind the Jews of, of the God who saved them and the God who made the world and to remind them of their purpose in entering his rest. So you have that Sabbath day. But there's another key picture in the Old Testament. This is going to be quite a whistle-stop tour through the Old Testament, uh, but I think it's quite helpful. The Sabbath command is not used just in relation to a special day. The Sabbath is always mentioned in relation to uh, the land that the Israelites were going to inherit. So these original readers, they've just come out of slavery. um, They've been promised by God that they're going to have this land. And when they get this land, they will have Sabbath rest. Moses uh, was the one who led them out. But after Moses, there was a man called Joshua who led the Israelites to conquer this land. And if you turn to Joshua chapter 21. So Joshua 21, page 196. um, It's interesting to see how this term Sabbath is used uh, in relation to the land. Page 196, Joshua 21, verses 43. This is what the author says. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. Just as he had sworn to their fathers, not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given them all their enemies into their hand. Not one word of all the promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. So when the Israelites get the land, they're to get Sabbath. They're to get a rest. Because the land was always associated with the presence of God. And so in the presence of God, they would have that perfect rest. One final thing I want us to see from the Old Testament, and it's really key, is that Sabbath is not only linked with a a special day, nor the land, but it's also linked with the king that the Israelites were to have over them. So, In the Old Testament, the fate of God's people was always linked to the fate of God's king. So they're to have this rest, the seventh day rest that has been promised to them. Then their king would have to give it to them. So turn with me to 1 Chronicles, page 351. 1 Chronicles, that is a book that is seldom ventured in. Um, Page 351. 
1 Chronicles 22. This is our final Old Testament passage I want us to see. Um, page 351, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 9. This is what God said of Solomon, uh, one of the great kings of Israel. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. So what you're seeing in the Old Testament is this building up this picture of of the seventh day rest. How are we going to get it? How is it going to happen? They've got to remember this every day, every time they celebrate the Sabbath. But this rest will be linked to a land that God is going to give the Israelites. This rest will be tied in to the king of that land. And the Israelites never got it. They never had the rest that was promised. Even the kings ended up being, for the most part, pretty bad. The land ended up getting destroyed, and eventually they got exiled, the Jews themselves. And there was never this fulfillment of the seventh day rest, despite all these promises that God had made, because these were pictures of the fulfillment that would come through Jesus Christ, ultimately. Jesus is the one that all this points forward to. It's the third point on your sheet then. I want us to see, okay, bearing in mind these pictures, bearing in mind that creation ordinance, how does Jesus then fulfill that? The fulfillment of God's promise to restore the seventh day rest in the New Testament. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the King of all creation. And it's not until he arrives that these promises start to be fulfilled. And not just for the Israelites, But when Jesus comes, he's coming to give this rest to everyone, to humanity. So as we look at this, we can see, okay, well, what does this mean for us today? This is why I'm made. And Jesus is claiming to offer something that is astonishing. Now, keep that in mind. All these, this big theme of rest, it's all throughout the Old Testament. We've just kind of had a whistle-stop tour. It began way back in Genesis. It's a loaded, loaded term. Keep all that in your head and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And listen to the words of what Jesus says. Page 816, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is a loaded, loaded term. Jesus says this to everyone. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Incredible statement. Jesus is claiming to them and to us here today that the seventh day rest, the Sabbath that our souls are made for, is on offer through Him. Look at what follows these verses. I mean, you can see the title of chapter 12. And check out verse 8 of chapter 12. Jesus says this about Himself For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus has come as Lord of the Sabbath to give us this rest that we are made for because there is a restlessness 
in every single one of us. There is a restlessness that's quite evident in this world. We see it in the brokenness of the world round about us. As I was writing this, my, my phone went off to get those BBC News updates. Um, as I was writing this, and I saw on my BBC News update that 86 people had been killed in a peace march in Turkey. There is a brokenness we can see in our world. There is a restlessness amongst humanity. And we don't just see it in the world around us. We see this in ourselves. When life seems to be so hard and futile at times, when everything just seems to be going in a circle and there is no purpose, we see it when we get frustrated with work, when relationships break down, when contentment just doesn't seem to be found. We see it when we suffer and we are disappointed and we feel wearied and burdened. Some of you here will maybe just feel that pain and frustration are becoming everyday occurrences. And it's not right. It's not right. Even, even when we enjoy something or someone, there's always that notion in the back of our heads, this isn't going to last. Eventually, everything's going to fade. There's a restlessness. We see this perhaps more often than not, the restlessness of humanity and our quest to try and be of some worth. Why is it that people get stressed and overwork? We can see from Genesis we're not, we're not made to be like that. We are made to have rest. The reason is because the quality of their work becomes how they measure their worth. If you're just living for your job, it's because you're trying to create some worth yourself and for yourself. And that is just a heavy, heavy burden to bear, to live constantly, to try to prove yourself. We need rest from that kind of thinking. We need a rest that is real, that is substantial, that is eternal. We know we, know we are not made to be like this. And this is a rest that we cannot find in creation. We cannot find this in relationships. We cannot find this in work, our family, our friends. As great as these things are, we cannot find it there because it's a rest that can only ultimately come from God himself. The restlessness, all these different forms of restlessness in humanity comes down to one simple factor. We are disconnected from the one who made us for himself. St. Augustine said it like this. St. Augustine is a theologian in the fifth century. He wrote a famous book called Confessions. Um, and this is his opening line. He says this, our hearts are restless, O God, and they will be forever restless until they find their rest in thee. And Jesus is saying here, Matthew 11, it's astonishing. Come to me. I'll give you rest. He is the bridge between humanity and God. He is the one who came to die and suffer the punishment for our sins so that we could be reconciled back to God, so that we could have peace, so that we could have Sabbath rest. And what does this rest look like? Important thing to note, rest and the Bible does not equate laziness. It's not about being lazy. You can read that in Genesis 2. Adam and Eve, they're enjoying the Sabbath rest of God, and they're working. Rest is not laziness. What does it look like? Um, let me give you an example. Um, 
Let me tell you a secret about myself. It's maybe not that big a secret, um, for those, but for those of you who don't know me, um, I am a massive fan of heavy metal music. It is, for me, if I want to rest and relax, that's what I like to listen to. Um, so I'm a huge fan of heavy metal music. And um, not too long ago, I was pleasantly surprised to learn that uh, a guitarist of a band I liked called Korn had become a Christian. His name is Brian Welch. Um, and he's got this amazing video online where he talks about his testimony, how he became a Christian. Uh, I showed it to the kids at Youth Club recently uh, because it's, it's such a good video. You should check it out. It's called I Am Second. Um, but he talks about this, and he says that somebody came to him with this verse, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, And he was the man who had achieved everything he'd ever wanted in life. But he said, you know, I am weary and I am burdened. And he talks about when he came to Christ. And he says, when Christ comes in, he gives you the gift of understanding because everything is created for Christ and by Christ. And we are created to be with him. And it's the most incredible feeling because you're where you belong. And contentment is given to you in life because you know you're exactly where you're meant to be. That's what Jesus is offering. It's contentment humble contentment that undergirds all the pain and the frustration that we feel in life. Because we're exactly where we're meant to be. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ and you're just wearied with everything, you feel there's no escape, listen to the words of Jesus. You can have rest. And that's not just something that's to come. You can have rest now. Graham read to us from Hebrews 4, which is a chapter worth jotting down. Uh, to understand the seventh day. And the author of Hebrews talks about us enjoying the rest of Christ now. How do you do that? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You do it by listening to Jesus, by obeying Jesus. And you do it by spending time with God's people. I said at the start that the seventh day is not primarily about what we do on a Sunday, not primarily about that, but what we do on a Sunday is linked into that. We need to spend time with God's people if we are to experience the rest now that Christ is to offer. Historically, what the church has done is set aside Sunday. It's called it the Lord's Day in the Bible. Set aside that day as the day when, when we rest together from our work, where we meet together. And if you're to experience the rest of Christ that Christ offers, you need to be spending a time in a day where you're not working, but you're resting, you're worshiping, and you're enjoying God. Because the primary way in which God takes care of his people is through his church. Take time out. Let's listen to our Savior. Let's rest in him and find the contentment that he brings. Let me just bring it all into land with this final point. We have that rest now, we can experience it, but we don't have it fully because we still experience all the pain and hurt and discomfort uh, that comes from living in a broken world. Remember that picture in the Old Testament? This is why the Old Testament is so helpful for understanding the new. The fate of God's people was linked to the fate of God's king. If the land was to have rest, the king would have to give it to them. We are made for a land of rest and we know that we will get it because our fate is tied with our King, the Lord Jesus. Do you want to know what that looks like? Let's go to the end of the Bible. Page 1041. Where the theme of rest that began way back in Genesis 2 finds its fulfillment. This is the 
new creation. Page 1041, Revelation 21. This is the, the final day where God fully restores the Sabbath. 21, John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. But he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is where we are going. That is what we need. That is what we were made for. That is what Jesus Christ came and died so that we could have Isn't it great when you come back from a horrendous day at work and you've got just that small moment of peace and rest? For me, I like to go home, eat some junk food and watch the football. Um, Well, I used to like watching the football after Thursday night. I'm not so sure. Um, But you know what I love more than that? I actually just love going home and seeing my wife because it's great just being with somebody you love. Do you know what makes this new creation so amazing? You're going back to the one you love, the one our hearts were made for. God is going to dwell with his people. He will be with us and there will be a joy that is unspeakable. I was reading this week this quote from a, from a great theologian called Jonathan Edwards and he said this, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls could be fully satisfied. To go to heaven, to go to the new creation, To fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Every relationship we enjoy now is a mere shadow. God is the substance. These are but scattered beams. God is the sun. These are but streams. God is the ocean. And after, after we have lived for Jesus now, seeking to do his work and make him known, after we have battled through various illnesses and disease, after we have labored hard for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others, after we have experienced the pain of heartache and loss, after we have fought the fight, after we have run the race, to come to that end and to have God himself stoop down to us and tenderly wipe away all the tears of grief and pain and to say these words to us, well done, my good and faithful servant, come and share your master's joy. That's the seventh day rest we were made for. Let me pray. Father, this is such an incredible theme that you have placed all throughout your scripture throughout your word. Help us to grasp why we need this. Oh, we just need rest so bad. Help us to enjoy the rest that Jesus offers now by being content in him, by knowing that we're exactly where we're meant to be. Help us, Father, to build our lives around seeking to rest in Jesus, to learn from him, to be obedient to him. And Father, as we meet together every week, may we always look forward 
to that ultimate rest where we will be with God's people and God will be with us and live amongst us. We will be free from all the things that avail us of this life. Free to just enjoy him and rest in him for all eternity. Father, may we look forward to that and may you impress it upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.